0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Genesis 43.
1: Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And we told him, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we have in any way known that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and I will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. And I will pledge for, of his safety. From my hand you shall require of him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have been returned twice. Then the father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sack. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present. And they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men. Oh, excuse me, and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sack the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we may come down at the first. Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, And they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant our father is well. He is still alive, and they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves, and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlled himself. He said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him.
0: Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Good job and welcome everybody who are here with us and those who are online this morning. I like that verse in Proverbs 18. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility... Comes before honor. You know, it occurs to me that that verse, I think, can refer to the same person by the grace of God. Paul was on the road to destruction because he had a haughty spirit, a haughty heart. He was prideful. And he was apprehended on the road to destruction, on the road to Damascus, by Jesus. And he humbled himself before Jesus. And who do we honor besides Christ? Who do we honor in the New Testament more than the Apostle Paul? Before humility, before honor comes humility well we're going to see a glimpse of that kind of transformation today in joseph's brothers as much as the ten brothers have have shown themselves to be haughty and prideful and vindictive and envious well we're going to begin to see a renewing of their minds in this story today that's what we're looking for we're looking for the telltale signs of how god is changing these men he's renewing their minds especially Judah. And we know Judah plays a huge part in the role of redemption history. So judge, if you remember, began to test his brothers in the last chapter. He tested them by doing what? He put money in their sacks, right? They brought money to pay for the grain. They got grain, but they also got the money back. So that was a test. And he sent them back without Simeon. He kept Simeon with a strict understanding that they would not see his face again, you'll not see Simeon's face, in fact, you'll not see my face until I see your other brother. You have a younger brother, I want to see him here, bring him back. So let's look at this passage today then under three main points. And these are the character qualities I think we're going to begin to see developing in these men. Uh, They are responsibility, humility, and gratitude. So when the scene opens, the family has run out of grain. And it's interesting, Jacob, or Israel, as he's called in this chapter, says, go down and and buy a little food. (laughs) No mention of bringing Simeon back, right? Israel doesn't say, oh, yeah, and what's that kid's name who's down there? Starts with an S. Yeah, see if you can bring him back, too. But mainly, bring us back some food. I'm hungry, right? So he just sees the cupboards are bare again. He sees nine sons sitting around doing nothing, and he sends them into action. And this is where Judah steps up. And eventually, he succeeds where Reuben had failed. Remember, Reuben had told him, "Hey, you can keep my two sons, and you can kill them if I don't bring Benjamin back." And thankfully, uh, Jacob didn't go for that deal. But now Ju- Judah is going to attempt to win where Reuben had lost. And he says, "Listen, Dad, the man said we will not be able to to see his face again, and we can't get Simeon back. We can't get more grain unless we bring." Judah I mean Benjamin back with us the man who's in charge of the grain said that so we're not going down there unless we take our brother with us and of course Israel complains that they shouldn't have even told the man that they had another brother and the argument continues and then Judah steps up again as a man of character he looks more like I think at this point he looks more like the man from the tribe whom Christ will come from one day then he does the old Judah when he says he will take care of Benjamin. He says, send him, send the boy with me and we will arise and go so that we may live and not die. Dad will live. We won't die if you let me take Benjamin and I will be responsible for him. In fact, he, if he's harmed in any way, I will bear the blame forever. Hey, uh, if you're a teenager, answer me this. What's something that teenagers have to learn to take on, but they don't want to take it on because it's hard? It's a big word, starts with an R. What is it? Teenagers. Big R's. big word, starts with an R. Teenagers have to learn to take. I heard a young person say it on the front row. It's a hard word, I know. It's responsibility. It's hard to even say. You have to be responsible. What can get in the way of you taking responsibility? Laziness, right? Uh, Pride, (laughs) jealousy. I'm not going to do that because my brother, you know, my brother's getting more than I am, so I'm not going to do it. Even, uh uh-oh, parents. Parents can get in the way of taking responsibility, right? Parents, don't answer me this, but how many of you are doing something for your teenager or maybe even for your child that that child or teenager should be doing for himself or herself? In other words, you're getting in the way of that young person stepping up and saying, I will be responsible. Yes, I will make my bed. (laughs) It starts with that, doesn't it? Make your bed. If your mom is making your bed and you're 18, you're in trouble. You have to take responsibility. It's a powerful thing because when we accept responsibility, it can lead to some great stuff like, Maturity comes not with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. I forgot about that quote. You're only young once, but immaturity can last a lifetime. Amen. But when we learn responsibility, it it comes with diligence. We have to be diligent to be responsible. We have to learn time management to be responsible. We have to learn wisdom. What should I do and what should I not do? in order to take responsibility for my life and for my actions. We live in a country, and the founders based this country on a constitution that only works with self-governed people, right? And self-government is taking responsibility for yourself, your actions, what you do and what you don't do. So Israel agrees to let Benjamin, his now favorite son, go to Egypt with the others. But he does two things here that are important, very important. First, he tells them, hey, take a gift. <laughs> let's, let's be generous with this man. Take a gift of some of, of, some of the good stuff that we have here in Canaan, and, and, and maybe that will win us some favor with the leaders. Always good to do that. And also, by the way, take double the money. Take back the money that we brought back. We shouldn't have gotten it. Maybe it was an oversight. And take more money so you can buy more grain. Take do- double the money. And then the second thing he does, even more important, he prays for them. May God Almighty, he calls out to El Shaddai. Remember, we talked about that earlier in Genesis. May El Shaddai grant you mercy before this man. He entrusted them to God's care. When he resigns himself to the possibility that he may never see Benjamin again, he says with a heavy sigh, If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Bless his heart. Israel's still thinking really more about himself and his own troubles than he should be. But that leads us to the second character quality we want to see. Um, Yeah, may he send back his brother. What's his name again? Uh, Second character quality we want to see here is humility. When the brothers are lined up in Egypt and they see the man up there, and all these people are lining up in front of this man, this great man, this second in command of all the nation of Egypt, he sees them first, and he sees that they have Benjamin with him and so he seizes the opportunity to meet his youngest brother and so he calls his his man his servant and he says hey prepare a meal in my house and then he announces to the brothers the servant announces to the brothers you're coming to joseph's house how does that make them feel automatically they're seized with fear they they assume the worst they he found out about the the money and and it's funny to me that their fear is they will be assaulted they will be pressed into service and maybe worst of all, they'll lose their donkeys. And then I think, you know, maybe it's because that's their way home, right? It's a long walk back to Canaan. But isn't it interesting that the things that they fear that this man, whom they don't know as Joseph, will do to them are the very things that this man, was, what these men did to, to him, right? They assaulted Joseph, they sold him into servitude, and he was left with no way home from Egypt. This is where the humility begins to grow in these young men. They, 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 They go together to speak to the steward of the house. They take the initiative. Humility starts with initiative, humbling yourself, They take the initiative to say, hey, let's go and talk to the steward of the house and explain that we don't know where this money came from. They took a step of honesty, explaining how this money doesn't belong to us and we want you to have it. What's humble about this? They took the first step in making things right. They told the truth. They didn't even try to make up a story that sounded better than, than what really happened. And honesty carries its own rewards. I remember taking... My kids at Carowinds years ago, and this was a long time ago, and one of my children found that on the sidewalk at Carowinds. Yeah, he found a $100 bill, and he came running up to me so excited. Dad, I found this money. Can I keep it? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. Let's, maybe we should go to the office and just ask them, what should one do? And that's what I did. We went to the office, and you know the lady behind the desk, and I said, man, what should one, I didn't tell her we found a $100 bill. What should one do if one finds money on the ground here at Carowinds? She said, well, it's interesting you would ask that. If it's a $100 bill, there's a family here from Florida. This is no lie. She said, there's a family here from Florida on vacation, and the father had nine $100 bills in his pocket. I know, and we're shaking our head." And she said he lost all of them on one ride. So what did we do? We ran back to that place where he found the money and started looking. No, we... with heavy hearts we we gave her the hundred dollar bill said well maybe he'll at least get one of them back right so we're walking out of there and my son I could tell was a little sad about that whole thing I said look I said I I know it hurts to lose that money it would have been fun to spend that money right but we did the right thing and that's really more important than money I'm not sure he bought it then, but I think he probably knows it now. You know, the Bible says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So it's more important to do the right thing even if you lose out on some free money. So that's basically what the steward said to the brothers when they told him about the money. He said, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. Your God... And the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. In other words, hey, guys, you don't know this. And the steward really didn't understand it either. But he was speaking as an orator of God. He was prophesying to these guys. He was saying, look, guys, God has has given you favor. You have found favor with God. And they don't even have a clue yet how much favor they are being given in this land of Egypt, do they? They're going to find out. How little do they understand it? They thought they were just coming for food, but God was growing these men up. He was growing their character. And God's all about that, isn't it? He cares a lot more about our holiness than he does about our happiness. He cares a lot more about our character than he does about our portfolio. We grow our portfolio and our character still stays uh, shrunken, then what do we have? right? Not much that's of value. Well, we see their humility again as they approach Joseph and they bow before him. Isn't it funny? Here's that dream again, right? Your sheaves will bow down to my sheaves. Oh yeah, right. That's not, not happening, Joseph. Well, this is the second time they've bowed down before him. And then he asks about their father and is he still alive? And they see us and they bow to him again, right? Three times these brothers have humbled themselves before this man and then joseph saw benjamin and he asked him is this your younger your youngest brother they said yes and he said god be gracious to you my son what did he do at that point his heart was so overwhelmed he had to leave the room he had to find a you know a quiet place where he could weep because he had seen his brother so then the meal is served and the arrangements are kind of comical aren't they Right? Here's Joseph sitting over here by himself. Why was he sitting by himself? Well, he's the vice-regent of Egypt. He's the governor. He's sitting by himself. He probably would rather have sat with his brothers, but why can't he sit with his brothers? Because they are Hebrews, right? And the Egyptians, and they don't know he's a Hebrew also. But the Egyptians can't sit with Hebrews because if Egyptians sat with Hebrews, the food would be defiled. That was the thinking in Egypt. If we eat with these Hebrews, the food we're eating will turn to poison in our mouths. Isn't it ironic that these, these roles will be reversed in a few years? That it'll be the Jews, the Hebrews, who will not eat with the Gentiles not because the food will become unclean, but because the Gentiles themselves are unclean, and therefore you eat with them, you will become unclean. How many know that Jesus came along and changed all that? Praise God for you and me, right? For our sakes. Finally, we come to gratitude. Why did the brothers, it's not happiness that brings us gratitude, it's gratitude that brings us happiness, why did the brothers look at one another in amazement when they were seated? Can any 9 to 12-year-old tell me what was so amazing to the brothers when they were seated? Say it louder. The food was amazing, yes. But how about the way they were seated? What was amazing about the way they were seated? Anybody 9 to 12 years old see that? All right, anybody older than that? They were seated according to what? Birth order, Right? So the oldest to the youngest. Reuben was in the first seat. And if they were in a circle, then Benjamin was around here at the end. They were seated in in a birth order. But the other thing that was amazing to them was the food, as as Sarah said. Who had the most food, Sarah? Who had the most food? (laughs) The, The youngest, right? The youngest kid. He had more food. In fact, he had five times as much food. Five was an important number in Egypt. But he had five times as much food as the rest of the guys. And to Dick's uh, credit here, here's, the other guys had bow boxes, right? But Benjamin, Benjamin had a super tailgate box, Twelve pieces of perfectly seasoned chicken, three picnic fixings, six made-from-scratch biscuits, and a half-gallon of legendary iced tea. Everybody said, "woohoo!" And the other guys, I'm sure they were looking at his food piled high, you know, on the plate going, What is going on here? I mean, Benjamin's not that big a guy, and he doesn't eat nearly that much. What is going on? So what was going on? Why did he give Benjamin five times as much as his brothers? I believe that this is at the same time a test and a demonstration. The one on the right represents the other brothers. Yeah. First, it was a test. It was a test. Listen, guys, this is important. It was a test to see if these older brothers would be what? Jealous of the favoritism that the youngest brother was being shown. See, they were very familiar with favoritism, weren't they? In fact, the favoritism that their father had had toward Joseph had ended, ended up them becoming so jealous and envious that they sold him into slavery after they decided not to kill him. They showed him mercy instead of killing him. And then lying to their father about a wild beast coming and killing their brother, and yeah, we don't know what happened, but here's his coat, and it's got blood all over it. Sorry, Dad. So, so Benjamin is the test. Joseph wanted to see. Is envy going to rear its ugly head again? Watch and see this. But I think it's also a demonstration. It's a demonstration of Joseph's love for his brother. Who is his brother? It's, It's his only blood brother. The others are half brothers because these two guys came from which mother? Rachel. This is the only other brother who came from Rachel. And Rachel died giving birth to this young man. And this is the only other brother, really, right, that didn't participate in selling Joseph into slavery. So he's kind of a favorite brother on that behalf as well. So it's a test, but it's also a blessing. And in the face of extreme favoritism this time, the older brothers seemed to pass the test. What does the Bible say? They drank and were merry with him. Instead of being grumbling about what they did not have, they were grateful for what they had been given. Instead of hating Benjamin for having more than they, they ate and drank and were content. Gratitude's a powerful thing. Let me tell you a story as we close. I heard this a long time ago and remembered it this week. Two golfers stepped up to the first tee at this course, St. Andrew's, not in Scotland, but in New York, in Westchester County, New York. It's one of the oldest courses in America. St. Andrews, and the older man was kind and played a thoughtful, deliberate game, and the younger man was full of pride and impatience. And on the first hole, he hit his, his tee in the, in the tall grass, and he, or his tee shot, and he lost his ball, so he shot another. He ended up with an eight on the first hole. Second tee box, he, he hit a bad shot, and he began to lecture his caddy. This course, you have to have a caddy. And he lectured his caddy, keep your eye peeled. I'm not here to do your job for you. And it seemed as they went on, every bad shot was the caddy's fault. Somehow the caddy had blown it for him. So at the end of nine holes, this young man, who's so full of anger and impatience, is so enraged, he fires the caddy. Get out of here, I don't need you. He turns to the older man and he says, I'm glad to get rid of that guy. He didn't like me anyway, and I don't like him either. Thank God he's gone. So a couple of holes later, they play in silence, but then the older brother, player broke the silence. He said, you know, let me tell you a story. Several years ago, there was this little kid, from yonkers he came up here he was taken on at the course as a caddy he's a wonderfully sweet natured boy quick-witted willing had a nose for golf everybody liked him his name was william oh and he, he also had a club foot so he stumbled a little bit as he walked well one day a certain famous doctor a member of the club here had william as a caddy and he took on took to the boy and not long after that they went down south and, and I don't know what happened there. I didn't know until later. But then they came back up here, and, and William continued to be a caddy. Well, the doctor got sick, and several months later, he died. One morning, he said, I was playing golf, and, and, and William was my caddy. And, and spring was busting out all over in Westchester County. And, and William, every time, chance he took, he would grab flowers because they were everywhere. And he made up a nice bouquet, and I looked at him. I said, William, who's the young lady, Hey, And he said, oh, I don't have a girlfriend these are for my friend, the doctor. He said, I, I take, uh, I take uh, flowers to his grave twice a week. You see, the man went on, the doctor had taken him down south to operate on his club foot. He made the boy whole. And the younger man said, oh, I like this William guy. I wish I could have a caddy like that. Is he still doing that? Is he still caddying? He said, yes, in fact, he was your caddy in the first nine holes. You see, the younger man sounds a lot like Uh, The brothers were before, filled with impatience and anger and envy and ingratitude. But William sounds like a young man who's living out the truth of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Listen to this verse. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I know some of you young people are going, oh, Lord, will you show me what's your will for my life? I need to find the will of God for my life. Here it is. Here it is. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a great place to start in finding the will of God, right? So we see a growing sense of responsibility. We've seen uh, humility, responsibility and gratitude in these older brothers and they've passed the test so far. There's one more big one to come next week. Lord willing, let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word and for the things that you've taught us from uh, this chapter. I'm thankful, Father, that you are the one who continues to chip away at our our character, chiseling it and forming it so that we're conformed to the image of Christ. May that continue to happen in each one of us. Lord, may we be honest when we look in the mirror to see the things that we need to submit to you and be humble about with others, accepting uh, accepting correction and accepting... responsibility more gladly. And thank you, Lord, for this church, for the things you're doing in our midst with our families and singles. May you continue to work your way in our our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.